Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Iditarod's Tales from the Trail. This is your host, Kristen, and today I have uh, Kim Henneman, who is a volunteer veterinarian, and this year, the 2021 race year, marked her 10th year as being a volunteer veterinarian for the race. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Kristen. I uh, am honored to be here. Thank you for asking. Yes. Um, well, a lot of people are very interested in the veterinary side, the dog care side. We've kind of um, pumped up our dog care articles on our website. So I thought it'd be a really good idea to have um, one of our veterinarians on. And you've been uh, volunteering for many, many years. And you also write some articles for us for our website. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your veterinary practice? Okay, well, I um, graduated from Purdue in 1986. I am originally a Utah child. I grew up in the mountains, and I couldn't wait to get out of the flatlands of Indiana. So I, I apologize to anybody who lives there, but I'm a skier, and I like mountains, and you need a little elevation change to do that. So I moved back home and uh, worked my first few years in two different small animal practices, uh, pretty high volume. Uh, I was able to work with a boarded surgeon um, at one of the practices. And, um, and while I was in school, I got exposed to acupuncture. One of the veterinarians at Purdue was actually one of the founding members of the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society. And as a freshman, I saw a horse who had nerve damage get acupunctured and the horse uh, improved, not like right for our eyes, but when the horse came in for a follow-up, the horse had improved. And so I was pretty intrigued by that. So when I got out, the veterinarian I was working for, um, he was also interested in acupuncture and he went ahead and took the, one of the first acupuncture courses and then I took uh, one of the subsequent ones and that kind of opened up this whole new world of integrative medicine and I went on to, even though I left his practice, I went on to get certified in chiropractic and I went on, uh, went on to get certified in Chinese herbal medicine and uh, I got I'm heavily trained in classical homeopathy, uh, but I didn't let go of my Western medicine roots either because to me it's integrative. So I was figuring out how to bring it all together. And I had a client ask me if I would be willing to work on an avalanche dog because I live in this near the ski resorts uh, who had been injured and uh, had to have surgery and he still wasn't recovering well from the surgery. And they want to know if I could do some acupuncture. And I said, sure. And she goes, okay, uh, be at such and such, uh, be be at the bottom of the tram at Snowbird, you know, at such and such a time. And I actually took the tram up before the skiers did, and we went up to the ski patrol shack up there, and that's where I acupunctured one of my very first dogs. And that was where I got really exposed to working dogs. And so I started doing more Abbey dogs, and I started doing more um, uh, search and rescue dogs, both wildland and uh, urban and I started doing detection dogs and I started getting called by the police. And then I started doing agility because agility was just starting at the time and uh, obedience. And um, I started doing sheep dogs. And I this has now progressed out several years. Uh, and I'm starting to get this kind of little specialty thing on um, sheep or on uh, working dogs. And someone put out a call to the veterinary group and said, hey, um, there's a little race, there's a little sled dog race up in the northern part of Utah that is, uh, they have a two dog, a six dog, and an eight dog race, and they just need a couple vets. And I went, well, well, you know, I've never really done sled dogs. I have, I don't know anything about them. So I contacted her and I said, I'm, I do a lot of working dogs. How hard is it, right? 
And uh, so I got, I went up and I worked the race and I actually worked it for several years. And while I was there, a lot of people started saying, well, you guys ought to go work. You ought to go work. Cause I had my associate at the time and they said, you know, you should go work the Iditarod. You should go work the Iditarod. And I went, I don't think I know enough to work the Iditarod. And they said, oh, you, you know enough, you know, and you'll learn more while you're up there. And uh, so I thought, well, okay. So after I had, had done it for a few years, I went ahead and I applied and was accepted. And I was just going to do it once as a bucket list item. And there we go. I just had year 10. Yes. And um, what an interesting year to, to ha- be a your, <laughs> year 10. Well, the last um, two in- years. The last two yeah. years were very interesting. Right. Being right in the middle of last year um, right. with COVID things. And then this year completely changed a bit with uh, COVID right. uh, protocols and stuff. So, so when you started your veterinary, you, you got into in holistic veterinary. Is that what you're saying? And, and chiropractic well, veterinary? Well, chiropractic? Initially I was doing regular medicine and I have a lot of people don't realize um, that I actually have a very strong and many years of experience in conventional medicine. And I, uh, saw acupuncture and thought, well, that is like really interesting. And that's where I got started was um, doing the acupuncture. And then through the acupuncture, I got exposed to chiropractic. And uh, I was raised from a family where chiropractors were considered quacks. So that was a big step for me. And uh, but, you know, you, you do something on an animal and they you can't argue really a placebo effect. You know, you do something and they either get better or they don't. And especially with lamenesses. And uh, so I continued to take through the trainings. And, and then I was at a junction in my practice. And I thought, you know, I'm, I've done my duty doing late night emergencies, all night emergencies, surgery, all that other stuff. I really, my passion is over here to the, you know, dealing with injuries and rehabilitating them using the integrative therapies. And so I decided to kind of walk away from regular practice. And I started my own, my, my practice actually started with horses and I was doing those on the side and then I decided just to expand it to do all animals and uh, kind of went out and and uh, started my own practice. And it's, I started it, I think, in 89 or 90, if you include the horses, and uh, still going strong. So there's a big need for chiropractic in animals then, or? Yeah, and acupuncture. And when I, and first, start, yeah, when I first started doing it, it was considered quackery. And a lot of people didn't really understand it. And uh, now we've got uh, so many clinics have acupuncturists and chiropractors, and they teach them at some of the veterinary schools. So it's kind of, you just have to wait long enough. You know, when you're at the head of the crowd, you just got to wait long enough for people to catch up. And it's starting to catch up because people could see that it helps their animals feel better without, you know, too many side effects and, you know, using drugs and and uh, and for the for the athletic dog for performance and working dogs, it makes a huge difference in uh, their ability to stay straight and move evenly and move efficiently and and uh, you know pe- like mushers and dog handlers all throughout the world uh, see the difference in their dogs. So yeah, so chiropractic is a really big part of it. Are you apl- applying um, chiropractic and and that part to I did it at all. When like when you're out on the trail, do you do you see like the need to look for those types of things? So I see the need, but the rules are that we can't. Uh, we I don't do it to a racing dog. First of all, I 
that what I've learned from doing competitive horses is that a lot of times there's a time and a place for some of those things. And right in the middle of an effort, an athletic effort sometimes is not the time and the place. But also, um, you know, the Iditarod rules really push for fairness. And, uh, you know, they want to make something even and fair for everybody who's participating. And unless there could be a chiropractor on 24 seven at every single checkpoint, um, you know, it's, it has to be available equally to all, um, to all, all mushers and to all the dogs. So while a dog is racing, no, we can't do acupuncture, chiropractic, or anything else integrative. I mean, a musher can do stuff to their own dog if it's within the rules. Uh, but when, sometimes when dogs, uh, you know, are removed from the team and they have to be returned because of a lameness or soreness or fatigue. Uh, if I have time, then uh, I'll sometimes help those dogs out, especially if it's, you know, somebody does it and they, they say, oh, you're one of those that does the acupuncture. Would you, if you have time, could you do that for my dog before they get on the plane to fly down to Anchorage? And if I have time, I will. I will acupuncture them or I will you know, do a little chiropractic. But only, well, that, after, yeah. only after the dog has been removed from the team and is no longer racing. Well, that's um, pretty helpful, and ha- it's really nice. We have a a good team of veterinary staff that is at each checkpoint, um, that looking over the dog. So, can you um, kind of go over what like the process is? You have a musher come into a checkpoint, and then um, the veterinary team they they go and they check over the dogs right away, or um, or at least do they go get situated in their spot? Well, it, it, yeah, it kind of depends on the checkpoint. It depends on how far in the race we are and, you know, how backed up we are. Like if we have a bunch of mushers coming in uh, and how many vets we have at a checkpoint. And, um, you know, we may have six veterinarians on a checkpoint, but we can't, we're not all up 24-7 at the same time. And so we'll all do shifts. We'll oftentimes pair up or group up and then we'll take shifts and, and work the shifts. And, and so usually what the typical process is, is a, a musher will come in and, uh, the checker will check them in. And usually it's asked whether they're going to stay or whether they're going to go through. And if they're going to stay, how long are they staying? Uh, when we're at one of the checkpoints, like at White Mountain and this year it was Squint in the South, uh, it was mandatory that they had to have an eight hour you know, eight hour rest. So we knew they were going to stay, but on other checkpoints, it depends on, um, you know, where their particular strategy has and what their team is like at that time is whether they're going to do their another eight hour, they're going to do their 24 hour or whether they're just going to grab stuff and um, get their book signed and move out and uh, go camp out on the trail where sometimes it's a little quieter and it's a little easier for both the musher and the dogs to get some sleep. So the vet team usually will wait until we, I mean, we'll watch the dogs as they come in. Uh, we'll sometimes make little mental notes if there's something that we, you know, think looks a little odd that we want to check or a dog that doesn't look quite right. And uh, we'll wait till the musher tells us what they're going to do. And um, then we jump to work. Um, if a musher does not stay at a checkpoint, then while they are doing um their check-in and maybe getting supplies, we will do what's called the short exam, the brief exam. And in the, in the musher book, uh, every checkpoint has its own little space. And we have a box in there that whoever is filling out the vet book, and, and the vet book has to be filled out at every checkpoint and has to be signed by both the veterinarians that are checking the dogs as well as the musher. And then the musher gets the vet book back for the next checkpoint. But there's a check in there that says whether we had no exam, whether we did a brief exam or whether we did a full exam. The goal for all of us, and we all work as a team, 
the whole all the whole group of veterinarians, whether we're at the same checkpoint or not, our goal is always to check every dog at every checkpoint. Um, if a musher is going through, obviously we can't do that, but we'll make a note and then we'll you know pass it on to the next checkpoint team so they can look at it. And sometimes we'll talk to the mushers and say, you know, we'll ask them, are there any issues? Do you need anything? What do you need from us? Um, if we only have a time for a brief exam, we do what's called a haul. And it's so it's spelled H-A-W-L. And as many of your listeners know, that the mushers have some basic uh, driving commands that they give to the teams. And ha means to go left and G means to go right. So we use that ha as kind of a, uh, a reminder for us. Uh, and then we add a little L to the end of it so we don't forget the last thing we need to look at. So the HA stands for heart. The H stands for heart and hydration. The A stands for attitude and appetite. The W stands for weight. And we really try to watch the weight on these dogs because when they really get rolling, those little 35-pound dogs can burn as much as like 11,000 calories a day. So mushers really work hard to keep the fat on them and keep them going. So we check their weights and uh, discuss any anybody we have any concerns with with the mushers. Um, and then the L stands for lungs because we really listen to their lungs, uh, really try to pay attention uh, to how they sound, checking for any coughing, checking for any dryness, checking for any harsh sounds. Because they uh, lungs actually will dry out faster in colder air than they do in dry hot air, and so we're really making we're trying to be very careful that those dogs don't develop any respiratory problems, and uh, so we really listen to those lungs pretty hard. And that would be our brief exam. And then if they have if they're going to stay and we've got a little bit more time, the hall we do the hall, and then we'll also do orthopedic exams. Um, and then a lot of times with my groups, because I'm board certified in sports medicine and rehabilitation, a lot of times what we'll do to get through a team quickly is we'll break up and I'll do the musculoskeletal exams and my partner will do the uh, respiratory and the hall type exams and then we'll go through and then that way we can be really thorough as we go through a team when we have a little bit more time. So that's kind of pretty typical what happens and and when the mushers come in is it depends on are they staying, are they going, or how long are they going to stay. And, uh, and then the, we, we usually, we always try to have a dialogue with every musher as to what's going on when they come in. And if there any, is there anything they're concerned about? Thanks for going through that um, kind of brief overview. I know a lot of people either don't exactly know what, um, what the mushers do on the trail and how you guys are interacting, the veterinarians and uh, the mushers are interacting and you're, you know, trying to check each dog. And it seems pretty comprehensive as far as making sure each dog gets checked, you know, making sure there's no, no issues. And they're, they're running, uh, you know, such a long distance race. You know, we're trying to make sure everybody is safe and healthy. Um, and um, so is there any, um, any interesting um, things that you, you look for, or look at? I know you do, do the, and thanks for explaining the, the haw, hall, hall, <laughs> hall. Right. Um, I know a lot of our listeners do know that. And I think we have some, we might even have an article up on our website about that. Um, and a lot of people get, confused sometimes about well what constitutes a time when a dog has to go home right um and it could be anything between you know a dog in heat or maybe there's a sprained ankle or something a broken toenail or something like that um so it really helps to to really know all the little 
things that you guys are just busy working on the on the trail 24/7 pretty much because those mushers come in uh dead in, you know in the middle of the night because <laughs> they're a lot of them are running in in the night anyway because it's a little bit cooler for the dogs um and the trail but, sets up they tell me the trail sets up better sometimes so not only cooler but the surface is a little uh, any many times the surface is better for the dogs as well too Oh, good point. Yep. Um, if it gets pretty warm and there might have been a few warm days this year. And especially since we were kind of just sticking to the, um, to our area. I mean, we didn't get far, far, far up north like usual to Nome. So, and how, how was the trail this year? I mean, the vets or you all and of course the mushers, everybody's used to the regular gnome you know everybody's going to know this year i mean do the i in a normal year i would assume the vets you all kind of just travel up the trail right mm-hmm. as the mushers go but this year mm-hmm. a little bit different we're all kind of in the same and it's right. just a turnaround so um we're we're your team members you know staying in one checkpoint yeah yeah so so normally they'll hopscotch us along the trail and teams will ebb and flow and you may end up with a couple of the same people as you go through different checkpoints but not necessarily because you know some people come in and work the first part of the race other people come in the end of the race and uh, I, I can't even imagine the logistics that Dr. Nelson the head vet has to deal with uh, and then throw and then the logistics people and then when you throw in a storm, right? Uh, it just, I, I, I think they're miracle workers sometimes. And I'm the one who's on the, on the receiving end of that sometimes. Um, so this year, what they did is that it was, it was really interesting. So we had, uh, we call it our, you know, we had a, a COVID czar or czarina. Um, and that was Dr. Jody. Um, and she was, uh, amazing. She's an epidemiologist. Uh, her dad's actually a, a many year volunteer veterinarian on the trail. And she herself has volunteered. Uh, doing various jobs uh, many years. I think logistics is the main one that she's done. So um, so Jody was in charge of all that. And she put together a heck of a program. So when I came in uh, and I was working kind of a little bit the front part of the race. And actually, I kind of worked the whole thing this year. And um, I had to be tested outside uh, with the rapid PCR test before I could even go into the hotel because the hotel was considered a lockdown bubble. And um, so we had to come in uh, most, I mean, all of us, and we had to be tested before we could come in. And then we did a four day, a four to five day, mine was four and a half days, quarantine in the hotel. And then we were all together. We couldn't go outside to eat. We had to have food ordered in. Uh, We had food provided by the restaurant in the hotel. So we were kind of all together in the same bubble. And then we got shipped out, uh, you know, together. We were, all the vets kind of stayed together. My team of six, we ended up, I went to Iditarod and, uh, which was the turnaround point. And I'd never been to Iditarod before and I've always wanted to go and I need to go back because we got so busy. I never had a chance to see the ghost town. And uh, so we had up there, we stayed in, uh, there's a shelter cabin and then they built new, they built a new musher cabin up there. And then we had a veterinary cabin that had uh, an oil stove and uh, built in bunks. Uh, I got in last, so I got with the leftover bunk and it's an up bunk. And a few years ago, we had actually had somebody accidentally roll out of a bunk at another checkpoint and uh, had quite the 
uh, wake-up call when they hit the ground. And so I was really a little worried about uh, doing that. So I kind of glued myself to underneath the, the roof there. But we had a fuel, uh, and then the fuel stove, uh, the, the tra- we had amazing trail people up there. They were just wonderful. And uh, our head trail person said, do not touch the dial on that stove. If it gets, it's working. If it gets too hot, just open up the door to the cabin. So we're like, okay, yes, sir. And uh, we uh, never had any issues. And thank goodness, because it got down to minus 55 at our checkpoint. Um, so I was up there and uh, with six of us. And then when we got to the point where, uh, and I was working that night from four to eight, the night that it got down to minus 55. And now I know I can do a thorough exam on a dog still, even in minus 55. Interesting when it gets that cold, when it even gets down to zero, we have to be really careful about our stethoscopes. And most of us come up with, uh, I mean, on average, I'd say people may not realize that a really good cardiac stethoscope is a couple hundred bucks, even though it seems like it's just a tube of rubber and it has the little, you know, hearing piece on the end. And so when it gets really cold, the rubber gets really stiff. And I saw a colleague once actually crack her stethoscope uh, when we had, we would, I think we were minus five uh, and uh, she actually, it just snapped. And uh, so it's one of the things we're always doing is tucking it into our parkas and then bringing them out again to listen to the dogs and then tucking them back in again. And then, of course, fingers are an issue, too, when you're getting that cold and trying to figure out how to keep your fingers warm, but yet still be able to palpate a dog and feel them. So uh, that was Iditarod. And when we had most of the teams done, uh, they picked four of us up and they shipped us down to Anchorage. And then we went up to Squintna South. And then two veterinarians stayed up in Iditarod because as long as there's a dog at that checkpoint, there has to be a veterinarian at the checkpoint. And so we had two of our colleagues stayed there at Iditarod. Four of us still from the same bubble went to Squentna. And in Squentna, we actually stayed in the Arctic oven tents that uh, had little propane stoves. And, and uh, that was... Uh, that was that was an interesting experience. They were great. Um, they stayed really warm, and I was actually really surprised at uh, how functional they were. Um, but it was just I haven't been out camping in a tent in a while where I'm sleeping with like four people on the floor together. So um, that it, that was an interesting experience. Um, and we were, it was great about Squentna South as we're out on the river, and because uh, normally in Squentna we we sleep the veterinarians sleep in the post office on the floor of the post office. Uh, right underneath the mailboxes. And uh, it's kind of the fun thing about Iditarod. But this year we were down on the river in the tents. And that was kind of cool in its own way because there was a breeding and nesting pair of bald eagles down there. And they would fly over a lot and they we could hear them talking and screeching to each other. And, and we'd get up out of our tents in the morning and the two of them would be in the trees just staring at us. And um, so that was, that was kind of cool. And the Northern Lights and Squintna this year were just amazing. So um, that's, you know, that's kind of like the job of the veterinarian. I guess it's kind of like that's what we do. And, and this year I thought it was – this year I just – even though we had the bubble part of it, um, you know, it just did, it didn't really seem, we weren't moving up the trail as much, but it, there really wasn't that. Once you get looking at the dogs and you get into the rhythm and the, and the teams are coming in, it wasn't that much different than, than normal. Uh, the only other thing that was different this year is we were testing out, um, a, uh, a rapid antigen test. My understanding was, I may be wrong on this, but I, my understanding was is it wasn't available commercially yet and we were testing it. And the veterinarians were the ones who got to do that. 
at Swetna. So uh, I, I got tested a lot. That was the only other difference from a normal test. I think I had a swab up my nose about every other day and every time it was negative. So, um, yeah, so that was, uh, those were kind of the other things that were different, but when we're really where the rubber hits the road, we were still there for the dogs. We were still there checking the dogs. There was no difference in that. Um, you know, the musher still had the same concerns and questions and, um, you know, it, it, uh, it wasn't any different from any other year from any other race. And when you um, talk about the equipment in, in the cold, so you bring your own veterinary equipment. I, I'm assuming you bring your own kind of toolkit. Does every vet bring their own little toolkit with them? Well, it depends. So we have vet boxes that go with us. And the first veterinarian in takes the boxes. The last veterinarian out takes the boxes. We usually have uh, two main veterinary boxes that will have all, all kind. I mean, every kind of supply we could, we could think we could want. We have bandage material, uh, everything from bandage material to suture material to even um, emergency equipment if we had to do a blood transfusion, which I never had to use, thank goodness. Uh, but it's in there. And we have medications. Uh, we have medications that are allowed for dogs that are still racing if we need to. Like if there's something, if we, you know, worry, if they're getting some digestive upset, um, you know, electrolytes, uh probiotics sometimes. Um, so bandaging material, uh, ointments and salves, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that is in every single vet box. And all those vet boxes are standardized and uh, they're all the same. And then individual veterinarians, we bring our stethoscopes, we bring our hands, obviously. Uh, usually you bring a thermometer, um, a watch, and, and some of the little things you never think about, uh, but you learn it from the people who've been doing it, is I have a couple watches that are just cheap Timexes that I got or just a cheap watch I got at Walmart. And you take the band off and you run elastic through it. And then you put it on the outside of your of your um, Arctic parka or whatever you're wearing. And then that way you can quickly look at, uh, you know, when you're counting a heart rate or you're counting a respiratory rate. Those are the kinds of things we bring. Some people bring their own medications. Uh, I don't do sedatives and things anymore because I, I don't do that as a part of my practice, but we have other veterinarians that do and they'll bring their preferred sedative if we have to sedate an animal to suture, um, you know, to suture a laceration if there was a dog fight or something. And um, so they'll bring their favorite little bits of instruments and things like that. But we also have some basic things in the packs as well. I think the thing I use the most in the pack sometimes is the moleskin for uh, broken nails for tree and, and the super glue to do broken nails. And some and, bandaging material. And uh, is there anything else that gets really affected by the cold temperatures? No, believe it or not, the thermometers do really well. And um, uh, this year I brought a small little laser for, uh, I tweaked my knee before I went up and I brought the laser for me and one of my colleagues wanted to use it too. And one of the return dogs uh, that was uh, had done a little tweak to its wrist um, the musher said, Hey, uh, you know, gosh, I, I, we were talking about the dog. He said, boy, if I were home, I'd put the laser on. I'm like, well, I've got a laser. I can laser it. And he said, would you please? And I said, sure, if I have time, I'll go ahead and do it. So I did have time and I did the laser. And now we know that laser works at zero degrees. So, um, you know, I guess it, the stethoscope is usually the biggest stethoscope hands and covered skin are usually the biggest issues when you're out on the trail, especially if it gets really cold like it did this year earlier, but before we started, we were talking about um, sled dog care uh, versus 
or translating it into everyday pets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So is there anything that um, you can talk on that or suggest to our everyday dog uh, pet? <laughs> right. Pet owners. Well, you know, yep. it's, it's interesting because I thought at first when I started going up there, especially these are considered marathon sled dogs, which uh, they're different than like the dogs I did when I first started working with sled dogs at the little race in northern Utah, which are considered sprint dogs because they were only going to maybe do 10 miles or 60 mi- or 50 miles. And then you have the mid distance dogs. And I thought, well, marathon dogs like this, they're so highly tuned athletes and you know, they have special diets and there's nothing that they're going to, the stuff I'm going to learn taking care of them really is not going to translate to what I do in my own practice, especially on the sports medicine aspect. But I was very pleasantly surprised when I started um, working with these dogs, uh, not only during the race, but also off season when I uh, talked to some of the mushers. And I'd say that the two biggest things that are my takeaways is uh, how to deal with musculoskeletal injuries in athletic pet dogs. Um, because the, we care about the thing that makes uh, the Iditarod dogs different than a lot of pet dogs is that the mushers know their dogs so well that they see the slightest little alteration in the dog's gait. And they will bring it to the attention of the veterinarian because they want to know, do I need to worry about this or not? And so we're dealing with a level of uh, athletic stresses and strains that are really early in the process, most of the time at a process where you can even, you know, stop it and uh, work with it and, and keep it from progressing. So I've learned so much from my colleagues and I've learned so much from uh, mushers, how to find and how to, how to quickly, especially how to quickly examine the musculoskeletal system, not just orthopedic exam, because that's just bones technically, but how to do the little things, check the nails, check the pads, uh, check the tendons, ligaments, the muscle tone, how's the back doing, you know, what are the hamstrings doing? What are the triceps? All those little things that I never really thought about before until I started doing those dogs. And I started doing them, I started getting it down to a a science, so to speak. I mean, after 10 years, one would hope. But I realized that a lot of those little techniques and those little issues that we'd see sometimes in those racing sled dogs, if I looked at the dogs coming in my door, I would see it in them too. And then I could catch it earlier. And then we didn't have a dog that had to, you know, have surgery or we didn't have a dog that had to have rest and and miss out on hiking or miss out on an agility competition or something like that. So that's the first thing I've really been able to bring back. The second one is diet and understanding feeding those dogs. And it's it's a little controversial in the veterinary world right now on food. Um, And there have been some concerns and issues with some of the more, I guess I'd call it archetypal dry foods that um, are higher in protein and that many, many people want to start feeding. They, they want better food for themselves. They want better food for their dogs, their pets, and they don't want to go eat at McDonald's for themselves. And they don't want to feed McDonald's, you know, the equivalent of canine McDonald's to their dog. So I, I get more and more people, especially when they find out that I do work with sled dogs and I have learned from a lot of mushers, both on season and off season, how are they feeding their dogs? Why are they picking what they're feeding? And, and, you know, how can I tweak some of this for a dog that isn't going to go run um, 800 to 1000 miles? 
Um, but still, you know, if you think, you know, out here, I'm out West in Utah and a lot of dogs go hiking. And I mean, I, I don't know how many of your listeners are, but I know when I go hiking with my dog, she probably does three times more than I do. So she's doing more exercise if I really think about it. And so I've learned a lot of, uh, I'm not as hesitant and I'm not as worried about feeding raw food anymore, especially if it's done with knowledge and you know how to balance the food or you if you have raw food added to a good quality kibble or some quality balanced canned food. Um, so that I'd have to say is probably the second thing that I've really brought back down to the lower 48, so to speak, is uh, how to really feed active dogs. And interestingly enough, that sometimes has translated to older active dogs as they age and getting, uh, li- you know, be- taking care of their livers and taking care of kidneys and, you know, dealing with an animal after it's rehabilitating after maybe a cruciate tear. And, um, and it's really fine tuned and helped my, my practice on taking care of that aspect of the animals in my care. Well, Kim, I think we can, uh, could talk about all these mind, you know, little shoot offs all day long. I know. <laughs> Probably right? there's so, so much. Amazing. Yeah, I know there's so much. I know. These one, animals are so amazing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but they're no, just man. So amazing, right? There, I never cease to be. That's why I keep going back because I never cease to be bored by by taking care of these amazing athletes. Well, we have our um, dog care articles that, and we'll be getting. I'll be getting more of those uh, to the veterinary team to to answer ask the vet. Um, so I'll probably have to add more of the holistic uh, questions and the dog food questions and the exercise questions just for your, you know, everyday pet um, things to think about if you are a uh, pet owner. So um, thank you, Kim, for coming on the show. Um, We'll have to get you on or another veterinary, one of your team members on because we could obviously talk all day about this. It was very interesting, and it's really helpful for our listeners, especially those who don't aren't the super fan that know every you know bit (laughs) have been following Iditarod for the for fifty years now almost. Um, So yes, it's very helpful to to get into these little interesting things, and there's things that you know that I don't even know that. Um, your team specifically does mm-hmm. so and how detailed you get with the, the dog care and that's what I did or is all about it's about mm-hmm. dog care so thanks again for coming on Kim and um, telling us all about what you do you bet Kristen thank you so much for having me and I just want to add one last thing for people who may not be aware of it the veterinarians that come to do this choose to do it, right? That we volunteer. We're not, you know, recruited and dragged out. And, and what's amazing is how many, I was happy to do this today. We have so many amazing people you can talk to and everybody brings their own little specialty and their skills. We have people from all over the country. We have one veterinarian who actually is one of the vets for task force one, the FEMA task force one dogs on the East coast. And we have veterinarians not who do holistic, not just doing holistic, but we have veterinarians who are surgeons and veterinarians who are specialists in nutrition and cardiology and, and, and people from all around the world. So, you know, this, you can't ask, these dogs can't ask for a better group of healthcare, you know, givers, you know, it's like, a, it takes a village, it really is. And it's a world village that takes care of these dogs. So, so I hope you get one of my other colleagues on because we've got some amazing people working this race. 
Yeah, I'll have to put add more veterinarian. I have plenty of mushers on the podcast. We're up to, um, and I, I just checked, this is the 20th podcast. Wow, <laughs> plenty awesome. of mushers, um, even teacher on the trail. They have some very unique experiences as well. Um, so yes, I, I, and everyone is so interested in the, the dog care facts that we, we've been putting out that you, you and the veterinary team that's been writing for us. Um, even the, um, the little tidbits on what they wear, what the dogs wear during the race and how they're protected. That was a big hit. So we are, we'll definitely be bringing more and putting more out there on just dog care and, and the dog mushing part specifically. So, well, thanks again, Kim. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on soon. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to have been asked.